as you know, uh, I've been asked to speak over the next couple of weeks about spirituality. Um, spiritual, David Thurston, it's a good question I guess, but uh, I guess you'll be able to judge that better towards the end of the talk. There are a couple of problems in, uh, in talking about spirituality and I guess the first and greatest danger is that we can move too quickly to specifics. What do I mean by that? Well, if, if you've come along here hoping that I'm going to talk about um, uh, whether a mystical approach to God is appropriate or the absolutely right way to pray or the absolutely right way to read the Bible, um, that's moving too quickly to the specifics. Um, there are greater problems that we have to deal with if we're going to approach the whole idea of spirituality properly. That's why I've called it the general theory of spirituality. What I want to try and do and what I'm hoping to be able to help you to do is to step right back from the whole question of spirituality and take in a much larger picture. That's why we're going to be addressing the whole idea of world's views. If we zoom in too quickly on techniques then what we might actually be doing is embracing ways of thinking that are unhelpful when it comes to thinking about spirituality. Uh, what we want to be able to do is to move backwards and then give ourselves uh, a sense of the lay of the land and work out maybe just exactly what pitfalls there are to avoid and uh, how we might be able to approach this in a helpful way. Uh, the second problem when talking about spirituality is one of definition. Uh, we can too easily move into the whole issue of technique and again technique might be part of the problem when it comes to spirituality. I've got a bit of a working uh, definition here, uh, some sort of way of going to define spirituality. Uh, it's this, spirituality is the congruity and integration of our inner life with our outward life in Christ. It's the bringing together and the integration of our inward life and our outward life in Christ. Okay? Now that's basically the idea of spirituality that I want to work with today and uh, in the talk next week. Behind that statement stands a worldview, a way of understanding our spiritual existence and how it relates to our physical existence. In our culture, we've largely adopted a structure of thinking and working and living that's dualistic. Let me explain dualism. Basically a dual carriageway. Um, all the major roads in uh, Australia are, are by and large becoming more and more dual carriageways. That is, we've got a whole bunch of cars going that way. It's separated by a vast median strip and all the other cars are going the other way. And there's virtually no interaction between those two movements. Now, our culture, Western culture, largely adopts the whole idea of dualism. Two separate components that make up our life. That is, our life is largely divided into these two elements. The public element, our work, uh, what we do in the marketplace, and our private life, uh, our home life, what we believe. Um, and really, in many respects, 
there is a, a great dividing line between those two ideas. That's actually reinforced um, by another um, dualism that's overlaid on that. That is, in terms of our public life, we define that as secular and our private life can uh, have things to do with religion, with the sacred. And really, what goes on here should have virtually no impact in what goes on there. So, what we do at work, what we do in our society uh, is, uh, is over here and what we believe, and it can be as weird as you possibly like, I mean, you can believe that, uh, that rabbits are God or something like that. You can believe whatever you like over here. But that's not to have any impact, any reference to what goes on in the workaday world. Now, that's dualism. Uh, and largely, uh, that, reaches, uh, that has strange implications. We see the implications that it does have when we can have an American president who uh, actually has consensual sex um, with uh, an intern uh, and, and that's apparently everybody's prepared to turn a blind eye to that because it doesn't really affect his public work. Uh, and then there's an inconsistency in all of this because when you go to the uh, doctor's visiting room and you have a look at uh, all the magazines it's all got to do with people's private lives, isn't it? We, we, we love reading about what's going on in the stars. Jennifer Anson? I don't know. Whatever. I don't know. The doctor very much. That's obvious. Um, uh, we, we think that it's got absolutely nothing to do with whether somebody can do a job well or not, and yet, yet we're fascinated by it in another respect, and we want it out in the public sphere as much as possible. There's an inconsistency in the way that we approach our life. If I spent our time, first of all, talking about prayer or reading the Bible or whether we spend half an hour a day oming to ourselves, uh, basically all I'd be doing is reinforcing the sacred, secular, public, private categories that make up our world. Now next week I do want to talk about those things but that's the special theory of spirituality. This week I want to try and keep it as general and as broad as possible before we actually zoom in on what's going on in terms of how we relate to God. Our Western culture, the culture in which we find ourselves, is by and large an unsatisfactory melding of two different world views. Okay? two very different worldviews. The first one is the Greco-Roman worldview, the, the Greek and Roman worldview. Uh, Aristotle was the tutor of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great conquered half the world and one of the things that he did most effectively was to plant Greek city-states and plant Greek culture and Greek language throughout that whole world that he conquered. The other world view that we have in our Western culture is a biblical world view. Um, since the conversion of Constantine, uh, what's happened has been there's, there's been an influx, a coming in of the way that the Bible sees how life should be. 
But what we need to understand is that these two worldviews don't actually nicely link up with each other. Uh, they're much more like oil and water. I mean, they, you might be able to shake it really hard for a while and it looks like it mixes, but as soon as it stops, it actually separates out. Now, what I've got before you there in your uh, outline is uh, a way of describing those two different worldviews, and I'm going to put them up here so you can, hopefully, so you can all see. Um, so I walk with this. Can you hear me up the back if I'm here? Right. Uh, what I want to do is I actually want to break it up into three different categories. So the first one we have is theology. Then the second one, so thinking about God. The second one is anthropology, thinking about man. And the third one is sociology, thinking about the way our society works. Now, of course, this is a fairly broad brush stroke approach, but I'm trying to give you an idea of how these two different worldviews work. So, first of all, theology. It's dualistic. It's... Can I focus it on... I'd love to be able to focus. Is that better? I've got glasses. Is that better? Great, Okay. So it's dualistic, it's those, those two ideas. So in Greek thinking you've got God and you've got the world and they're co-eternal. They exist together and they're equal. Not only are they equal but also they're opposite. So the qualities of the God and uh, the world, God is perfect. They're not, that's not a moral quality. He's perfect, so he doesn't need to change. He, he is, or he, or it, is set in itself and doesn't need to react. It has no passion. It, has, it, it doesn't interact with anything. It doesn't need to interact with anything. It's spirit. It's spirit because matter is evil. Uh, spirit, it's free. Uh, it's wisdom and it's good. That is not a moral quality, okay? Not a moral quality. There's nothing moral about that. The world is imperfect. It's a place of change. It's the place of becoming. God is the place of being. Uh, it's matter and therefore evil. Now, the God of the Greeks is sort of an obsessive, compulsive sort of God who hates to touch um, dirt or soil and sort of if he does he'd have to wash his hands forever so who would ever want to do that? But what he does is he creates beings who create beings who create beings who create beings who interact with the world, who shape it because the God can't have anything to do with it. That would be to become less than what it is. The intermediate beings are created so that the God has no contact with evil matter. Now can you see how that's dualistic? I mean there's, there's two realities and they're opposite and opposing to one another. Okay? Now that's reflected in what, what people thought about who human beings were. Um, human beings were composed of basically two elements, uh, spirit and flesh. One was good, one was evil. Um, they shared in the duality of the universe, in that two-part sort of system. 
And sin, as much as sin meant anything, but sin had something to do with the spirit or the logos being tied to the flesh. Uh, There was something inconsistent, something wrong about that. And it was the flesh that made people do bad things. And so salvation under this happens at death when the logos or the spirit actually became freed of its fleshy um, husk and was able to go and uh, join the great spirit, uh, God, and be free there. Now, what's up here and what's reflected here is reflected here in terms of the culture as well. It's very much a hierarchy. So in Greece and in Rome, all that talk about uh, democracy, uh, democracy didn't work down here. Basically, there was a huge number of slaves in both cultures, and in between the elite were the uh, freedmen, between the elite and the slaves were the freedmen, especially in Roman culture. But right up the top, you had the people who best approximated themselves to God. They didn't make anything. They might create, in a sense. They might, they might observe and uh, gaze upon uh, wonderful works of art, but they didn't work with their hands. They had other beings in between them and manual labour who would do all of that sort of stuff. The person who was godly, godlike, in the Greco-Roman world was somebody who had enough slaves, enough time and enough money to be able to contemplate the good things in life. So the dualism up here is reflected here and it's reflected here. Now over and against that we've got to put the biblical worldview, which looks nothing like... Isn't it wonderful when you have a look and you see that this picture is exactly the same as the other one that you had and that's because you did a rush job this morning. So, what we'll do (laughs) is we'll do it here. So in the biblical worldview, in Genesis, you have God and the world and what we have is we have a situation where God creates directly. It's His Spirit, His Word, that actually interacts with the world. He speaks creation into being. There's a, a involvement. Uh, there's no sort of obsessive compulsiveness about this God. Uh, in fact, in, in chapter 2, he gets his hands dirty. He, he makes human beings out of the dust of the earth. He touches them. And and when he steps back and has a look at everything that he's made, it's very good. It's not evil. There's not that that dualism. Rather, God is separate from his creation. He can't be confused with it. But creation can be good. Matter, uh, the physical world, is not inherently evil. Uh, Now that's reflected in the anthropology and I have got the right picture here so that makes me feel a little bit better. 
Human beings are also composite creatures. They're made of spirit and matter. God makes human beings out of the, uh, the stuff of the earth and then he breathes his spirit into them. And human beings form this incredibly pivotal role in the creation because they are the integration point between the heavenly beings and the earthly beings. They stand between the angels and between the creatures, the angels, pure spirit, the creatures, pure matter, and under God and under his rule, that's what the crown represents, God, man and the world, under his rule they bring about God's order and an integration of those two great realities. There's no dualism here. Human beings are created to actually bring those things together and, and to express God's purpose and God's rule in the physical universe. Human beings are created physical to be a physical representative of God. Human beings are the image of God in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and following. They are the bearers of God's glory and they are to be reflectors of his purpose in this world and to rule it under his authority. Sociology reflects that as well. Uh, sociology in uh, the biblical worldview, all human beings are made in the image of God and so are co-equal in worth. Everybody has the image of God. Uh, even within the monarchy of Israel, even within that sort of situation, uh, the role that David or the other kings had or the role that the priests had, even though they had uh, great power, they didn't have pure autonomy. They had power to serve. They had power to help the people. They had power to be able to help people know God better and be better able to serve him and to have a culture which was distinct, different. See, the other thing about the biblical theology is that it's the story of a God who doesn't stay up there unwilling to touch the earth. It's actually the story, a real story of a God who enters history and enters into the very fabric of time and space and interacts in a real way with people and a nation and a culture and ultimately the crowning event of his preparedness to, uh, to contact uh, matter is the incarnation when God himself takes up residence within, within this culture uh, uh, over and against the hierarchy of the Greek world we have that great statement by Paul uh, in uh, Galatians 3.28 that there is no Jew or Greek slave or free male or female for all are one in Christ. Suddenly, in the flowering of the biblical world, there's not a hierarchy, but there's actually a place of unity where there is giftedness, where there is purpose, where it comes together and human beings are able to interact with God and interact with each other in a helpful way and form a new society. And uh, Do you want me to leave that up there or... 
Now, I just have to find out where I am in my notes. As I said, our civilisation basically incorporates both of those sorts of ideas at different levels. So there's an element within our culture that's a bit schizophrenic. And that even comes out in our church culture. Um, If you're having a look at where we are in the notes, we're up to that section that says, what about me? Uh, There... While Western culture has proved initially very strong, as time has gone on, the weakness has uh, begun to show itself. Uh, Medieval society, if you uh, think about that, certainly had a hierarchy. Um, uh, The ideal of the uh, the elite changed from being the landed gentry who had everything and was able to contemplate um, uh, the, uh, the one to a hierarchy where the church basically stood right up the top and the person who had time and uh, the leisure to be able to do anything were basically uh, churchmen. Uh, They were up the top of the ladder and the peasants were down the bottom and in between were the nobility. Um, Our culture is a blending of those two ideas and it continues to be the case. Let me give you an idea of where we have an influence of that Greek and uh, biblical way of thinking. It's the way we talk about death nowadays. Uh, when, we, uh, when somebody dies, um, we say that they've gone to heaven. What happens when people die? die? They go to heaven. Now in one sense I guess that that's a reasonably accurate way of speaking about things, but it's not ultimately true. Well, ultimate reality in the New Testament is physical reality that's declared by the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. Ultimate reality is not us wandering around the sky with big pigeon wings stuck on our backs plucking harps. It is an absolutely integrated reality, a physical reality with new bodies in a world that is reconciled to God and in a world where there will be things to do we will have physical bodies. Saying that when we die we go to heaven is basically talking about something that is only, only a step along the way. It's not the final destination. And what we need to do is we need to reclaim the great vision of the Bible and that is a new heaven and a new earth. Otherwise we're being too spiritual. We need to actually embrace what the Bible says and that's a real physicality. The the resurrection body of Jesus almost is becoming simply uh, a tool in apologetics nowadays rather than our individual and corporate hope. Where do I want to finally end up? I want to end up with a new body. That might surprise you. But I do. I really do want to end up with a new body. And I do want to end up in a new earth. I do want to see what reality was meant to be. I do want to experience what I've missed out on. I do want to see how what I see in the best of you and sometimes in the best of me and the best of the world is only a pale reflection of redeemed physicality. See, that's spiritual. That's spiritual. The danger is 
we get hooked up in Greek thinking and somehow we go off with the fairies, literally. And we miss out on the, the absolute concreteness of the biblical reality. Let me give you another example of that. There's a danger of hierarchy within Sydney evangelicalism when it comes to work. Uh, We're going to talk a bit more about that next week but, but let me sort of uncover some of the Greek thinking behind some of Sydney evangelicalism when it comes to work. It's very easy to take pot shots at careerism and there is almost implicit with some of the, uh, uh, the language in which we talk about ministry and work the idea that ministry really does occupy a much higher standing in the scale of things. There is a hierarchy and if you're in full-time paid ministry then that's really the best thing that you can do and if you're not, well nobody really says it but by implication it's sort of like second or third best and the thing that you should do is make sure that you don't flog the office stationery and make sure that you give plenty of money for the people who are doing the real job. So make sure you have jobs that earn lots of money. Now, in that, there is Greek thinking. You can smell the souvlaki coming your way. (laughs) Because that's not what the Bible says. There is not a hierarchy at that point. There are gifts. There are opportunities. But primarily what the Bible is saying is that you, in what you're doing, wherever you are, in the context in which you are, you are involved in ministry. Ministry. It's not second best. It's actually the place where by gifting and opportunity, God has placed you so that you might serve him and you might serve your neighbour. Now, we're going to have to do some thinking about that next week, but one thing that I want to, I want to kick over the category that, that one thing is better than another. Gifts, opportunity, call. We've got to be careful of the way that we, uh, we too easily suck in a way, a worldview that stops us from understanding true spirituality, true biblical spirituality. What you do in your body the rest of the six days of week outside church is spirit and just as spiritual as so many other things. What we have to do is we have to work really hard to try and reclaim the real meaning of spirituality. So let's just step back again and have a look at it uh, where we've uh, where we've been in a general theory of spirituality what we want to do is make sure that we don't zero in on technique too quickly what we want to be able to do is to stand back and and survey the culture in which we live because the culture in which we live has already shaped the way that we begin to define what spirituality is. Our culture wants us to keep on defining spirituality in terms of our private world. In terms of, uh, that's, that's the sacred area of our life. 
and it has nothing to do with our public or secular area of our life. That divide, that wall between uh, the public and the private is something that is Greek in thinking. Now, there are sometimes helpful categories to have but if they become more than categories and they actually become structures in our life then we're missing out on the true biblical vision of spirituality. Not a divided life, but an integrated one. Not one where we're able to say, this is God's, and really, this is too, but he, gee, doesn't have a lot to say in it. Now, we just won't take the office stationary and we'll... We'll do a bit of evangelism and we'll try and start up a Bible say, all good things. But is that all there is in the, in the rest of the, the other six days? Or do we have a vision of an integrated whole, a life composed in all of its components, a life where we're called to live every particle of our being and our time, every relationship under the sway, the rule and the sovereignty of God. Spirituality is not simply about the spirit. Matter matters in spirituality. And we can't split the world in two. The task for us within this culture is to be people who offer a real alternative to the split world that people live in. Now, let me tell you, we all inhabit that split world. We've grown up with it. It's a structure within our life that we've become comfortable with. And if somehow we're going to begin being the people of God in a new and different way, we have to begin tearing that that dividing wall down. Just as in Jesus the dividing wall between Jew and Greek was torn down, so in Jesus we have to tear down the dividing wall between public and private, sacred and secular. And because our minds are so gripped by those two structures, it's going to take time. It's going to take your time more than it's going to take mine in a sense. It's going to take you working it out where you are, what job you're doing, what career you have, how you function within the world, how you redeem the time and redeem the opportunities that you're you're confronted with. Well, what are some conclusions? What I've tried to do today is to challenge you to think about spirituality in a way that doesn't reinforce the schizophrenic, the divided uh, worldview that, that we often have. To see that the biblical worldview is one of integration, not separation. That when we become comfortable with the idea of separation, we're actually selling out to the Greek, to the Roman idea of what life was all about. What we need to do is have a fresh vision 
that every skerrick of life is spiritual. Absolutely every skerrick of life is spiritual. Every act, every, everything that we do potentially can be done unto God, or to ourselves, or to someone else. And the great task that we have before us as the people of God is to somehow struggle with what that might mean and if possible to make a few steps forward and pass it on to the next generation so they have a better chance at it. Annie Dillard, uh, a Pulitzer Prize uh, winning author and her book Pilgrim at Tinker Creek says this, uh, uh, an area of uh, Jewish thought or tradition says that one of man's purposes is to assist God in the work of redemption by hallowing the things of creation. I think there's a lot of truth in that. The task of the people of God, of the church, is not to be world-denying. What we've got to do is, is we've got to understand that the world that we're not to be a part of is the world in rebellion. What we have to show the world is how to be world affirming and use the world and the gifts of God in a way that shows that they are how they are intended to be used. We will do that with faltering steps. But it is better to do it with faltering steps and with mistakes than to play the idea that we can divide the world conveniently into two halves and play here safely. As soon as we've done that, we've been sucked in and we're missing the calling of what God is drawing us to be part of, to subdue the world and to fill it with his glory. Let's pray. Our great God, you love the world that you created. You so loved it that you sent your son to become a human being, spirit and flesh, and that by his life, by his death, by his resurrection from the dead, to bring about a new beginning and offer us eternal life. A life that is incredibly physical. A life where there is an enjoyment in the world that you've created that we can only anticipate now. In your presence. And now you call your people to be involved in the world, to be world affirming, to be for it to be about improving it, not thinking that it's going to be uh, heaven on earth, knowing that one day uh, it will be destroyed but there will be a new heaven and a new earth and you call us to be involved in redeeming this world, this time, these lives. Thank you that you call us to something so great we come before you and we confess our inability and we ask that your spirit flesh 
and integrate our lives that together as your people we might serve you and bring glory to the name of Jesus our Lord Amen Okay, well uh, at the EU we are committed to um, uh, explaining and articulating the Christian gospel at Sydney University Uh, if some of this was maybe a bit new uh, for you or you're not a Christian we'd love to hear what you thought about this so we've got a little bit of time now. If everybody could just take a minute and fill in these comment cards that you've got on the way in and just, just write some things down there, that would be great. And, and if you don't have to, obviously, but if you just write something down and say, you don't have to put all your details on if you don't want to. Uh, if you would be interested after hearing that in finding out more about the Christian faith, uh, the first thing you could do is come back next week where Dave will be speaking to us again and he could maybe come to a barbecue. But I'd also like to uh, know that we have a course called God's World uh, which runs on Monday afternoons from 5 till 6 uh, which is specifically designed to introduce uh, people to the Christian faith and to help people to think through it. So if you'd like to be involved with that, uh, if you could tick the box, I want to find out more about Christianity and and we'd love to get in contact with you about that. Uh, Also, if you're keen to hang around for a bit, I imagine Dave will be here for a bit if you want to ask him some questions. And there's, I think, some afternoon tea. There's certainly, yes, there's afternoon tea out next to Stephen Roberts' lecture theatre and we'd love you to join us for that. So I hope uh, you've had a good time and welcome to EU and uh, we'll see you next week.